Why, hello and welcome. Welcome to the Peer Pressure Podcast. I am Diane, sometimes known as Diane Kamikaze, and I am your host. The reason why I do this podcast is because I like to say I am a champion of heavy music. I've always found my favorite songs since I was a young kid had riffs, hooks, were either metal, hardcore, hard rock, or punk, or something fairly aggressive in attitude and sound. And I am all about appreciating the people that keep that world going, whether they're musicians, webmasters, other podcasters, record label and festival owners. It's important to me to recognize what these people do in that realm of music. So I am here to bring them to you in a different context, more than a Wikipedia entry or a press release, a little more personal and a lot more fun. I'm a rocker for life, and I hope these episodes do make a difference. Send me feedback at diane at wfmu.org. And my Facebook page is Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life. Like my page there, and I will keep everybody updated on podcast episodes in that space. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned. And my guest today is Jimmy Walls. Today's recording is from a blast from the past, January 12th, 2012. And uh, the songs are truncated for the podcast. Jimmy has an amazing set list. So I would recommend that you go to the actual uh, archive of the original show. He does a really cool set of uh, Virgo guitarists. And since it's been a few years since this interview, a lot has happened. Uh, Jimmy and BB have relocated to Nashville, and there's a new BB Buell band record out. It is called Bearing It All, Greetings from Nashbury Park, and I believe that it was recorded half in Nashville and half in Asbury Park. And Das Damen has had a reunion of sorts. I know they were in the studio, and I don't know what kind of timeline they have for releases. But look for that. And here's Jimmy Walls. It's time for our peer pressure segment. My guest, Jimmy Walls, is here. Are you there? Hello, hello. There you are. Hello. Hello. And uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure, and thank you for, for coming. I already know what your playlist is, so I'm very excited. Cool. Yeah, we got some good stuff coming up. Yeah, we do. And I just want um, to ask you kind of, uh, well, to get the listeners up to speed, Okay. your uh, musical background. My resume. Your, yeah, just, we'll talk. Ooh, um, okay. Um, I guess I'll just hit some highlights. Yeah. Um, I was in a band called Das Damen. Yes, you were. Um, I don't know, what do you call it, alternative or something like that? In the started in 1986, I believe. I guess at that time you might call it alternative. Yeah, I mean, that was before alternative was alternative. Right, you know? yeah. Um, now alternative is like the biggest bands in the world, right. so whatever <laughs> the opposite of that was. Right, um, right. And our first record was released on Thurston Moore's Ecstatic Peace label, mm-hmm. uh, which was picked up by SST. We were on a bunch of different labels, like um, 
SST, Sub Pop, Twin Tone, a bunch of the cl- with a lot of classic bands from that era. Then um, after Das Damen broke up, um, I was in a band called uh, New United Monster Show, which was like a New York City local band, played around a lot um, with the singer John Robinson from a band called The Fluid. Oh, wow. And uh, I was trying to find some good stuff. I couldn't find, I'll, maybe another time. Yeah. But, um, and just did a bunch of dip random things. I wrote a few songs with uh, Gordon Gano from the Violent Femmes, and uh, just, which was awesome. It was an honor to, to work with him because, you know, he's, yeah. he's an amazing talent. Um, and uh, did, you know, just a bunch of projects and um, had a, lived up in Maine, had a band called Vacation Land, which did really well up in the New England area and won a lot of awards and stuff like that. Yeah, I did see Vacation Land. Yeah, in your yeah it, was a cl- it was when I moved up there, I played in a band with a bunch of Portland guys who were really talented. There's actually great musicians up there and did that and then uh, moved back here. And, um, you know, I'm, for those of you who don't know, I'm married to B.B. Buell. And um, I was kind of working with her. She's, you know, a force of nature in her own right and so I kind of played with her a little bit we both kind of had our own bands sort of and then we kind of combined forces a few years ago and (laughs) um, co-produced two records her new record Hard Love is one is like a kind of like a very you know ballsy rock record um, which I'm very proud of and um, we just did that recently it just came out we're going to play a few tracks today and that's kind of where we're at so I wanted to um, to go back and ask you a couple mm-hmm. questions about like the Das Damen era because you sure. were in the you were sort of that era and the, the a lot of like the label mates that you had like you uh-huh. were on SST when yeah. SST was like this amazing oh yeah you know I yeah mean, it, was, it was it was crazy I mean what was that period of time like just in terms of who you were talking to on a daily basis and that kind of thing um, you know it was really like at that time it was like was really I mean it sounds so cliche but it really was kind of like underground and you know you really felt like it was sort of like this thing that like not everybody was aware of there wasn't an internet and you know that type of thing and you know you'd go to the SST warehouse and you'd see Henry Rollins or Mike Watt like you know moving cartons of like Bad Brains (laughs) records that just came in like it was really like everyone just helped it was you know or you know Henry Rollins Greg Ginn and um one of the guys from the Meat Puppets would be going to the post office to mail out the orders or, you know, it was really kind of cool in retrospect at the time. Th- I mean, I love their work ethic. I mean, that's kind of why they signed us, to be honest, because we were playing, we just wanted to play. We went crazy. I mean, we played at the time really remote places like in South Dakota and Montana. And we had this guy, really a kid named Dylan Cole, who anybody that knows him is probably cracking up right now. He was a real <laughs> character. We could do a whole show on him. <laughs> but it, basically our first tour, I was like 17 and our tour was booked by a 15-year-old, our first tour. Oh my goodness. And actually wow. we had to get a letter of consent from his parents to let us come with him. <laughs> and it was basically like, we it was real DIY. It was just like, you know, we put out the record and let's do a tour, kids. You know, <laughs> like the little rascals. Oh, oh, that's and hilarious. we're in Cleveland and we're playing, you know, and this to his credit, Dylan, who was like an insane genius, booked a tour and routed it fairly well and got venues and opening bands. Wow. And yeah, a lot of places. We were like the first 
like alter, you know, it was a lot like the Blues Brothers, you know, with like guys in <laughs> cowboy hats throwing beer bottles at these weird kids from New York. You know, it was a lot of stuff like that. Wow. Um, and he actually got into every club every night. I mean, he, did he have like he a was letter like fif- from his mom with well, him? Well, he was like 15, but he was incredibly smart. Mm. So he could like hold his own with anyone. He didn't. It's hard that to didn't expo- hold him back. No, he was, you know, too smart sometimes. But uh, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, so we just kind of did it. And the guys in SST liked our music and saw that who are these maniacs that are playing like in the middle of nowhere? They must really be into what they do to like, you know, play in Montana in 1987. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right, like right, right. these guys are nuts. We like them. So. Yeah. Um, that was like one like a real highlight having Greg Ginn call up and be like, "We want to sign you." You know, it was like really cool to be seventeen and have that happen. You know, yeah. It was like you know to me it was like you know I don't know. That had to have been like the greatest. Like wow. Yeah, like, to me, you know. it, yeah. At the time, it was like Tommy Mottola calling you up or something. It was like <laughs> great. The guy from Black Flag wants us to be on the label. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And we did this tour and we played um, in Chicago. We opened for Big Black, the original lineup of Big mm. Black with Steve Albini. Yeah. Drove all night to play, I think it was Lansing, Michigan, opening for Black Flag. They just wanted to see us live. You oh, know, it was wow. like our audition. So you drove all night for your audition. Drove all night, opened for Black Flag, and they're like, we love you guys. And then we got signed. Wow. Yeah, it was fun. Oh my God. So you actually got signed in Lansing, Michigan. We had some good shows in Flint, Lansing, yeah, Detroit, mm-hmm. which was uh, scary, but... Uh, <laughs> it, Detroit in the '80s was, uh, you know, well, Detroit a now. force to be reckoned with. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it it is still one of those cities. Oh yeah, that's um and um and we were talking before when uh, when Jim got here about um, some tours that that uh, Das Damen was lucky enough to go on and, and um, you toured with Nirvana, is that right? Yeah, we opened for Nirvana right as we right as Nevermind came out. Like <sighs> I saw the build like the nirvana mania like we played with them and i saw the crowds get bi- like every show it would get bigger people would go crazier it was like wild to actually see it happen wow yeah it was really really kind of cool i was there when kurt and courtney hooked up oh. i was actually sitting in between them and they were kind of like talking over me i was like all right i'm gonna get out of here <laughs> So I was there when they... I told Courtney that recently. It totally freaked her out. She's like, oh, my God. I wow. hadn't thought about that in years. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Do you mm-hmm. have any... Um, so you said that you saw that you really saw the reaction to Nevermind. Oh, yeah. And, and what was it like being on the road with them just as people? Um, amazing. I mean, Dave is basically the same. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe slightly less hyperactive, but he was always a cool guy, always very talented. Um Kurt I liked a lot. He was definitely quiet and kind of needed, you know, Kurt time and stuff. But he was incredible, you know, unique talent. Um, and you did tell me what his favorite album was. I just want you to, one to his, share that with the listeners. Well, I said <laughs> it was at a time in music where, you know, he grew up listening to a lot of classic rock, you know. So he loved, one of his favorite records was Rocks by Aerosmith. And he loved, he was a huge Cheat Trick fan. I mean, he loved, like, the Raincoats and, you know, like a lot of the Melvins and stuff like that, of course. But that was stuff that really inspired him and uh, he w- had some nice conversations with him and got to spend time with him and it was to give you an example like I knew Dave because Dave was in a band called Scream it was a DC right. hardcore band and I ran into him and I was like oh the guy from Scream and he's like yeah I'm in Nirvana now and I was like okay they were mastering Nevermind and I lived had this big apartment with a bunch of people in Brooklyn and they had heard 
they called up like Steve Shelley from Sonic Youth and like, hey, we're in town. What's going on? He's like, oh, this guy from Das Domin is having a party at his apartment. So they all showed up. Oh, really? Yeah, Kurt and everybody <laughs> were at my house, and we were like, oh, there's my friend from Scream and these two other guys, you know. And uh, so we we talked, and then they're like, oh, we're going on tour. Maybe you guys can come. And we called up, and it ha- I mean, that... Wow. Yeah, I mean, looking back on it, it's, it's crazy. Who you know. But it was just, yeah, it was just like it was it was very friendly back then. You mm-hmm. know, it wasn't, like, competitive. and cr- Like, later on, when, like, there was a big money involved, people got more weird and competitive and stuff. But at that time, it was kind of like... All for one, sort of. Yeah, I'm sure that the opening slot for Nirvana after Nevermind. Nowadays, I'd have to, like, you know, mortgage my house to, like, get an opening (laughs) slot for somebody. But at that point, it's like, yeah, come on tour. I know you guys. Yeah, you had such perfect timing. I mean, yeah, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. And I'm I'm very, you know, I'm honored that we were able to do that. You know, and I want to mention, I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's so you were there before they broke, but Das Damen itself was ahead of the curve in terms of the music you were playing and I think I mean I think we were a little bit yeah I definitely I mean we definitely as we were talking about earlier I mean I got um, some nice compliments from a lot of big musicians saying that they were influenced by the band and stuff which is cool people like Peter Buck from R.E.M. and Billy Corrigan and Al Jorgensen from Ministry like you know (laughs) random that's yeah that's great which uh, you know it's cool you know Thurston Moore has told me some stuff and very sweet. So, and it's important to look at because there's always there's always some band that's sort of sticking their neck out, taking a chance with music while there's a lot of the same stuff going on. And I mean, yeah. I was around during that period of time, and and I played in the band, and yeah, uh, we played we, were on the we played yes together. a bunch of shows together. <laughs> yeah, right? we did actually. Like yeah. at the, was it Court Tavern or Maxwell's or Court, both? Court Tavern. I don't know about Maxwell's. Um, and then at uh, what was that place on Bleecker Street? We'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah, but I because I can I can actually really children in adult jails. Oh goodness! Yeah, yeah. shout out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean to be the band that breaks ground because you were sort of doing this psychedelic thing and yeah, it was a bunch of. Ma- I mean, it's funny. I saw an interview with uh, uh, was it Robert Pollard from Guided by Voices. Oh yeah, he's like, I saw this show and Das Damen played in someone's living room. It was amazing, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we played a couple of living rooms. Yeah, you just wanted to play. I mean, it well, was crazy. It. You were like, po- it was like the they say the pioneers get all the arrows. You know, we we <laughs> just play like we played in a house. Like a gig got canceled, so we and it was like Gainesville, Florida. So we just went to someone's apartment and set up and played. It was like this amazing show. <laughs> it's so funny to look. At. It was just a different time, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and it's great to to witness that the enthusiasm and just the the commitment to doing it. Oh like, yeah, we, yeah were, we're we were fanatical at that yeah. time. We just that was the spirit, and it, part of that was kind of. I got to give credit to the guys at SST. They were like that too. At Bla- I mean, they did a lot a lot more than that of that than we did really with mm. Black Flag and the early SST groups really that was the thing man just go out and try and reach as many people there's no internet so the only way you're going to yeah, do this is to go, go. And, yeah. and that's kind of I mean we already felt that way but you know kind of hooking up with them we kind of joining forces that was definitely pushed it over the edge for sure a perfect pairing yeah it was great for a long time yeah we're you're uh your playlist, because mm-hmm. um, you are here to guest DJ, uh-huh. and uh, and Jim's got a great playlist, and I would definitely uh, encourage everybody to to stay tuned for the entire show. Um, how was your playlist uh, organized? Yeah. Well, you sent me an email, and you said, I'd like your journey, your life's journey or something through yeah. music. Yeah. And I was like, 
I mean, if you see my house, there's, you know, stacks and stacks of, you know, BB and I have records, CDs and MP3s. And I was like, how do I do this in like 45 minutes? So I just figured I kind of narrowed it down. I realized I'm not a huge astrology person or anything, but, I, you know, there's definitely something to it. So I thought I would start with influences. And I'm a Virgo. My birthday is September 7th, uh, 16th. And a bunch of, I realized a bunch of guitar players that really influenced me are also Virgos, mm. which I found interesting. Mm-hmm. So I thought we could do a little Virgo guitar player set. Nice. Um, do you want me to annou- announce the songs, or um, do you want me to just give well, you? Well, let's talk about the um, okay. the, the first the first two. Okay. Um, first one is um, City Slang, Sonic Rendezvous Band, which greatest is greatest song in the world. One of the by greatest. The way. <laughs> um, Fred Sonic Smith, huge huge influence on me. Uh, born September 13th. Oh, uh, uh, wow. Yep. And just a great band. They only put out one. You know, it's such a classic thing. They only put out one single. It's amazing. It's really hard to find. Um, you know, Fred was in the MC5, was married to Patti Smith. Just an incredible guitar player, underrated talent. Just incredible songwriter, singer, everything. Just just a bad, as badass as it gets. This oh, is yeah. like old school Detroit throwdown, as good as it gets. And Drummer from the Stooges. Yeah. Um, Gary Rasmussen, the bass player, I think played with Patti Smith and a bunch of different people. Scott Morgan, mm-hmm. Detroit legend. Just, you know, just cool Detroit rock action. And they're one of those bands where there's not a lot of releases. It's like, it, no. it's, it's, you know, I mean, the MC5 is like a lot of people know the MC5 is a background thing, but Sonic's Rendezvous is a little bit more under there. And, you know. Yeah. Well, it's only one single and a bunch yeah. of like live stuff that was bootlegged for years. And yeah. now it's finally out. And that's all great stuff, too. But um, I thought it would start it off there. And then the second track um, is The Professionals which is Steve Jones and Paul Cook. And Steve Jones, another Virgo guitar player, September 3rd, mm-hmm. did a little research. And um, just a great band that also not a- enough people know about. You know, obviously everyone knows about the Pistols. Yeah. But the Professionals were really a great band, and they kind of didn't have a lot of releases, and some of their stuff didn't come out until later, and contract stuff and that kind of thing. So I thought I would use this segment to kind of highlight some stuff that maybe not everybody has heard. Did they have issues with contracts? Like with the Sex Pistols leftover? Um, Was that part of their... um Well, I know the professionals, like they did a record and then something happened where they had to like remix the music and it didn't come out as good and the real hardcore people say the first version of the album's better, the demos are better and stuff. And I think this song White Light, White Heat, which is a Velvet's cover, is from the original version Mm. that, you know, the real rock people i mean the other version is good but you know the real hardcore people are like this is the best so. oh cool yeah and also uh pete marshall the other guitar player in bb's band mm-hmm. said that version's the best so if he tells me that i, I listen you believe him yeah all right so we've got jimmy walls here who was yeah. our guest dj and uh we're going to listen to some sonic's rendezvous band next please stay tuned
My guest is Jimmy Walls here, and uh, he's the guest DJ. Ooh, who was that? <laughs> One of the Fat Albert gang. <laughs> I was going to say. I think Rudy came in here. <laughs> Where'd he go? Hide the grapes. <laughs> awesome. So um, so we, we talked about the first two songs in that set, Sonic's Rendezvous Band and The Professionals. Yes. Let's talk about the second two songs in that set. Okay. Uh, well, I could talk about the Bad Brains the entire show, if you want huge influence totally life-changing religious experience mm -hmm. um so did you get to see them in the early days here yes mm -hmm. i saw them play in a place that was like 
the size of my living room and, you know, changed my life. I mean, I, Dave Grohl had a quote. He said, he's like, I'm still looking for a band that's better live than the Bad Brains. And yeah. I kind of agree. If anybody saw them back in the day, they unbelievable. We were yeah. lucky to inherit them in the New York area. Yeah, they moved up from D.C. They were transplants, and wow, just incredible. High energy, great songs. And they were like the first wave of hardcore, and there's sort of nothing else to really... They kind of like set the bar, and like that was it. <laughs> and it's still there. Yeah, it's like still there. <laughs> so they, they had a quote um, I saw on their website that said, we're not old school, we are the school. <laughs> and I was like... Perfect. I have to agree with that pretty much. Yeah. I mean, just, in, you know, incredible. It was like hardcore and hard rock and metal and but with also like little like they're into like fusion so like these little like weather report bits but they were <laughs> heavy and it was just like crazy well yeah weather report done bad brain style yeah done like yeah. by you i mean know. their songs truly had hooks like you just really oh yeah memorable you know yeah, and great just grooves and incre- like i'll never forget seeing them and there'd be like this dramatic pause and you know, they would have these, like, ending little bits that go, like, da-da-da-ba-ba-ba, like, almost like Vegas, but, right. like, heavy. And, like, HR would, like, literally jump up, do a backflip, and land on the one when the band ended. Yeah. I was, like, my teenage mind was, like, you know, pureed and never the same again after right. I saw that. It was incredible. Never seen anybody else do that. Yeah, that's, you know, and especially for that to be sort of, like, an early foray into what you saw, what you experienced musically. Where oh, do yeah. You, where do you go? I know, I, you know, it was like, oh, that's, that's how far you can take it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that's how that was, that's how, And it's just the vibe when they play is, it's, I don't know, it's hard to describe. It's just, man, they, it's just like, it's a whole nother world, man. They, they have some mystical stuff. I don't know if it's all that uh, Rasta stuff or whatever it is, but yeah. man, they have, they have it going on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, and thank you for playing the Bad Brains. Okay, well, well Dr. Like, no. Real name Gary Miller, September fifteenth. Oh, the day before wow, me. Oh, that's pretty amazing. Yep, and he's an incredible, another underrated guitar player. Incredible, mm-hmm. changed music, punk, hard rock forever. And oh yeah, I don't, I don't know if enough people know that to be honest. Well, maybe more do. Maybe now. they do now. Yeah, the Joe Perry Project. Yeah, we did a little shooting star remix. Yeah, I know. Oh yeah, which is cool. I, I had a CD that was skipping. Yeah, Luckily we had the turntables out. Diane was scratching <laughs> a little bit. It was cool. Uh, yeah. Uh. Joe Perry Project. Joe Perry, you know, badass rock player. Everybody knows who he is. Mm-hmm. Not exactly an underrated guitar player, but I thought the track was underrated. Now, it's the first his solo record when he split Aerosmith in the 70s, and I love that song. I just think it's it's badass. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, and he's September 10th, so another Virgo. That's a, you know, that's a kicking pretty, it. Yeah, it's a pretty big, uh, that's a pretty good uh, group you got there. Well, a lot of people say Virgos are kind of like, you know, reserved people. That's like the stereotype. They're kind of quiet. Oh, so. so that's how it comes out. Yeah, maybe that's how they, they let it rip. I don't mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. Could be. Nice. Very good. Well, mm-hmm. um, what's going on with the B.B. Buell band right oh, now? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, basically, uh, B.B.'s band is kick-ass band. We have Sarah Tomek, who is a Asbury Park, Jersey girl. Incredible. Oh, is she from Jersey? Yep. 28 oh. plays like John Bonham. She's, she's a great drummer. Sick. Yeah, she's amazing. You yeah. S- you, know, you saw. Yeah. Enzo Penizzotto, mm-hmm. New York fame. You um, pronounce his last name very well. Well, you got to know the guys <laughs> in the band's name. I mean, you <laughs> I know, know, come on. Just a, um, that, w- you just, that just rolled off your tongue as if it didn't have 17 letters in it. <laughs> it does, but, you know, <laughs> I've had a lot of practice. We, <laughs> we've been playing together for a while. Right. Amazing bass player, incredible. Mm-hmm. Great musician all around. Mm-hmm. Um, played with Joan Jett and was also in a band in New York in the 90s called Speed McQueen 
criminally underrated. Oh, right. Um, so good. Uh, Mark Lewis was a guitar player, and he's gonna he does sound, and he's still around. He does he's very involved in the New York scene. He's actually a very successful producer. He produced Flyleaf. Oh, right. And uh, great, just great band band that I like open for like you know with like either New United Monster Show or I had a band called Sense Around or Desire mm-hmm. back in the day and um, I like after I saw them like I felt bad about what I was doing like they were so good oh. that I was like I gotta change everything <laughs> you know like they were really awesome and I'm so sorry they didn't do more but we're gonna play an unreleased track from them later oh good and uh, Pete Marshall uh, my dear friend he's playing guitar in the band as well and, you know, he's played with Sam Hain, with Glenn Danzig. He was in Iggy Pop's band. He's had a bunch of different bands, man-sized action, local band. And oh. he's just great. And he, we grew up together. And he kind of, you know, he showed me the way, played me the Sex Pistols and Raw Power and that kind of stuff. So I'll forever be indebted to him. So it's cool that we're in a band together because we kind of, he started me out on this journey. And here mm-hmm. we are. And I think we play really well. I love the way that he plays. He's just Oh, yeah, he's a great guitar player. Yeah, he's great. It's, playing with him is wonderful. And so what are you guys and doing And also next? Zach Lasher, oh, right. who's in U-Melt, and he's just a, another great talent, mm-hmm. keyboard player. Great, great. It's a kick-ass band. I, I, I love playing with those guys. And I, as far as I know, that's the best band BB's ever had. And I, we're kind of at a point where we're rehearsing a lot. When you first started playing music, yes. did you have like a... Well, first of all, is guitar the only instrument that you... Um, play yeah um no i play bass too which you know is similar um i play piano more i can write songs on piano but like i usually if i'm gonna record it i have to have someone else play it so the performance is good oh, okay i can like you know play a little bit i started on drums actually oh really yep short lived on drums and then moved to guitar were you ever in a band on drums no no i just like took drum lessons in grade school mm-hmm. and uh it didn't work out, and my uncle actually gave me two guitar lessons. And, oh, uh, so you were encouraged by the family then? Yeah, my, one side of my family is very musical. So huh? my uncle and my cousin, who I was in a couple of bands with, he's you know incredible drummer, and mm-hmm. my uncle plays guitar and a bunch of instruments and stuff. So, so and um, what was your first band, or what age were you at? Um, fourteen, thirteen. I was uh, trying to think. I think it was called The Undertakers, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the original FMU played our demo. We were wow. so psyched, yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. Oh, we'll have to look in the cassette library and see if we have it. <laughs> it's probably in there. <laughs> Excellent. Um, my uh, my guest is Jimmy Walls, and uh, we were talking about uh, he is currently in uh, the B.B. Buell band, and yeah. you were in Das Damen, who I believe mm-hmm. is the uh, the next track that we're going to get to. So yeah. why don't you um, let's Tri- talk about that. And okay. Um, well, Give a shout out to my man Russ for sending this to me. Thank you very much. Um, got a bunch of Dust Diamond uh, rarities recently, so I'm going to play one right now. And I think this, this is from live from CBGB's, not sure, I want to say 88 maybe, could be 87. And it may have been an opening slot for Soundgarden. I'm not sure because we did open for Soundgarden at CB's. Oh, wow. I'm not sure if it was from this show or not, but it could have been. And do you have any uh, recollection were uh, opening for Soundgarden? Uh huh. Um, I Chris Cornell was a big fan of Das Damen. Um, and he and Kim, the guitar player, used to come see us play a lot when we played on the West Coast. Um, just great guys, you know. They were very cool. 
and you know we were blown away as everyone else was when those records came out I knew Chris and his his first wife Susan pretty well and Mm -hmm. um, you know just all good stuff you know good stuff and this is way before you recorded for Sub Pop then is that right yeah Uh yeah we we knew those guys before before that and it was kind of we bounced around labels a lot and there wasn't a lot of money you know they'd be like oh here's fifteen hundred dollars go make a record boys you know and like okay you know first take woo (laughs) (laughs) we got it (laughs) yeah everybody started and stopped at the same time it's a go right yeah yeah it was that kind of thing. Great days, you know. Yeah, it was fun. You know, it was, a, it, was it was definitely uh, the spirit of it was very cool. I, I was uh, I was reading just just recently the the news came out that Tony Iommi is being treated for cancer. Oh, I didn't know that. And um, they're moving the Black Sabbath recording sessions to England so oh, that he okay. can still do oh, man, treatment. Oh man, I'm so looking it. forward to that. Yeah, I know. And uh, and I and I read so he was a member of Jethro Tull for about two weeks. I didn't know that. And uh, and. Ian Anderson, the the one thing that he's that that Iomi said that he got from that experience was to really make it happen yourself. And then what he started doing with Black Sabbath was like calling them up and picking everybody up for rehearsal. Like, come on, we're going. Come on, we're right. all going. Not like, oh, he didn't show up. He's yeah. late. Like literally being the one who's going to cause it all to happen. And that's that, you know, well, that, like with the that, days of Das Domin and stuff, that's, you guys were really making it all happen. We all kind of had that job. I mean, you have to do that in a band in a way. I mean, that's sort of, that's always kind of been my role for better or worse. I'm always like the, come on, I'm the guy. Oh, saying, you're the guy. Even when I didn't drive, I was the guy picking up people up for rehearsal. <laughs> okay, you're going to drive this guy. <laughs> um, you know, I lived in the city for years, so I didn't get my license till I was like 25 or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, I'm always, that's just my personality. I'm always like, you know. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. yeah and Well, good. Somebody, someone has to be, because you see bands that, I mean, you know, in the, the category of artists, yeah. whether it's you know, art, performing art, any kind of mm-hmm. medium, right. and then musicians. Yes, there's there's so much talent that's wasted because people are like, oh, well, you know, no one's gonna blah blah blah. It's like, yeah. right, no one's gonna. You're and gonna. You know what? Like a lot of people that I know that do stuff are like I, you know, have that same spirit that are really motivated. Like, so for so example, someone just randomly, like someone like Bob Mold, he's like one of the most motivated guys you'll ever meet. He's the exact opposite of the stereotype of the like flaky musician right he's like hyper organized and focused and uh, give a shout out to my man john worster Mm -hmm. who may be listening he's a fmu dj he's comedian everything makes his appearances jack of all trades rock and roll and (laughs) comedies john worster Mm -hmm. i want to say what's up if he's listening and he's recording with bob mold right now he was actually sent me an email this morning in san francisco so he's going to try and listen so hey john if you're listening hey bob yeah hey bob too (laughs) if he's a he is, I mean, I, he's someone that I admire because he just, he's like a, a maniac, like, about getting stuff done. He mm-hmm. just, as long as it takes, you know what I mean? Like, he'll sleep when it's done kind of thing. Right. I love that because these days, you're, or maybe always, you kind of need that. Yeah, you do. And I think that some of that is lost on, in a more modern time. There's that stereotype of, like, you know, the rock star wakes up at, two in the afternoon and he's hung over yeah, but he and stays awake until five in the morning yeah it's still a long hanging day hanging out and it, you gotta you know if you want to make stuff happen you gotta do it right listen to Tony Iommi kids he did it <laughs> I know the only time I wasn't like the, one of the motivators and really I gotta say with BB's band now everyone's really motivated like mm-hmm. it's it's so easy because everyone's 
focused. They're great oh, players. Great. They're in. They want to do it. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, hey, the guys at the bar, where'd he go? Kind of thing. Like, <laughs> they're great musicians, and they're all about it. They want to play, so it makes life really easy for everybody. But um, the one time where I was kind of like a hired gun, like really, and wasn't like the guy doing everything. Uh, I forgot to mention earlier, I played with Degeneration. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about yeah. that. Yeah, because uh-huh. I, I saw your name listed, but it wasn't... Did you record with them? Well, I toured with them. Um, they just, just released their... Well, they're back now. Mm-hmm. But this is uh, their record, which was called Through the Darkness. Right. And I think Tony Visconti produced that, actually. Oh, wow. And I didn't play on that record. Todd Youth played on it. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, he's great. I got a call. It was really funny. I was working. I was working at this art moving company, like we, like fine art. Mm-hmm. And they call up and they'd be like, "Hey, you know," because I knew those guys forever. We grew up on the scene together. And hey, man, my friend Danny Sage. And he goes, "Todd's not in the band anymore. We're getting ready. We're gonna do this arena tour with the Offspring. Would you be interested in in doing it? You know, being in the band?" And I was like, "Sure." You of know, of course. And he goes, "You know." I know you're good, but, you know, you really need to audition because, you know, it's an arena tour and, you know, no offense or anything, but we just want to make sure that works before we go. And I said, of course, you know, absolutely, no problem. And he goes, I'll call you back in 20 minutes, let you know what time you have to audition and, you know, we'll take it from there. I was like, great. No call. Waiting, waiting, waiting. (laughs) I'm at work, you know, packing up a Matisse or something. (laughs) And then three hours later, we don't have time to audition. You want to do it, right? And I was like, yeah. And it was literally like, wow. you know, a couple of rehearsals on the plane. The lights go out. Ladies and gentlemen, degeneration. Wow. You know, it was like a sold out arena tour. It's when the offspring did Pretty Fly for a White Guy. Oh, yeah. So it was like packed house. Like the last show I did with them was 15,000 people in Chicago. Mm. And it was like cool because after years of vans and all that's, you know, theaters and, you know, yeah. doing the bus, roadie, arena. It's nice to get flown. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to not have to drive. <laughs> right. But it was cool to see the other side of it. You know, it gave you perspective on everything. And I had, a, you know, known those guys forever. We had a blast. That's cool. That's yeah. really cool. So you've really been there from like the whole like everything is all you to to getting the pamper, to getting the huge crowd, et cetera. It's yeah. a, that's a really great perspective, though. I'm sure that there's good aspects of all of it. But uh-huh. but if you could have anything, what would you really prefer? Um. I just like to play. I love playing big rooms. I mean, I'm not going to mm-hmm. front and be like, oh, yeah, the small spaces, the intimate, you know. Well, it depends because some people do really like that well, more. And, I, you I, know, I, I you're a little bit I, more of a showy guitar player, though, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'd like to say I'd like to play so many big places that I miss the intimacy of clubs. Oh, I'd good. like to do it for so long that mm-hmm. I miss it. I mean, I love playing anywhere. I, I don't really care. But the one cool thing about arena shows are people pay a lot of money for tickets. So they just want to, they're not as judgmental as like a club, maybe. It's a different vibe. It's not so much like, hey, I got my uh, rolling rock and let's see if this band's any good. They just, they paid money to rock and they want to rock. That's true. So that part of it I like a lot. But it is cool also to have people right in front of you. So I I like all of it, you know. And you bring up a really interesting point because the last time I I saw Judas Priest recently at the Uh IZOD Arena, Uh and it was, you know, it's like there's a whole different mindset when you're in a building with thousands of other people to see one band. Sure. It's kind of like, you know, and like, and you know, I'm not going to say that it's but the best time I've ever that, seen them. It's but like, there's also things, sound isn't always great. It's not right. always as intimate or yeah. special. It depends. You know, it really depends but on the... But it's more about the setting yep. and, and you're going to an arena show. Yeah. It depends you know? on the show and the performer. Yeah. It really comes down to them to make it happen. So yeah. I, I'm cool. You know, I played, 
Like I said, I've played living rooms. I've played arenas. Right. So I'm right. good with all of it. it I just, love it. It, it, it just all. depends on who's owning the house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how big it is. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, so I love it all. Okay. So then uh, we're going to go into a live cut from Das Damen, not not recorded in a, in an arena, recorded at CBGB's. <laughs> yeah. You know, our, our Shed sort of bring a tear to my I eye. I know, I know. I still, you know, it's funny, they, just in the last couple of years that CBGB's was open, they started the wristbands that they, I mean, I don't even remember wristbands for years and years and years, and then they had, you know, admission wristbands, I and know. then they had CBGB's admission wristbands. I still have one. That's awesome. But it's such an old, it's such like an old new relic. It's like for, like, I remember maybe wearing three out of going to CBs thousands of times, you know. Oh, so. yeah. I mean, I have a, spe- you know, Luis Parnassa, who used to book mm. that place. We went to school together. And, oh, wow. Um, uh, you know, Hilly Crystal, of course, legend. And, you know, he's a good friend to BB and, you mm-hmm. know, very good to her. So that it's a special place in my heart. Oh, yeah. So this is Trick Question uh, from... Uh, Das Damen. When was this recorded again? I'm going to guess like 87, maybe. Okay. I'm not sure, though. Maybe someone someone might know better than me, but I, it may have been when we opened for Soundgarden. I'm not sure. Oh, right. Yeah, you mentioned that, so. Yeah. Very good. Well, hey, it's 2 o'clock straight up. My guest is Jimmy Walls, who uh, had played with Das Damen and is currently with the B.B. Buell Band, and we're going to hear some Das Damen now. Stay tuned. <laughs>
And we have returned with, uh, after a fabulous set of music. And Jim, why don't, you, uh, why don't you take the reins and talk about a couple of those things that, uh, that you played for the folks. Okay, let's see where we started with Pat Smear, we I think was the last block. Well, yeah, because oh, we, we talked the about das the Das Damen. We yeah. talked about that. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, well, basically after that, I picked three songs from other artists that we are on the same label Das Damen was. So I started with SST, and I was trying to pick something a little different that maybe no one had heard. I mean, I could play Husker Du songs all day, you know, right. or, or the Meat Puppets or, you know, Black Flag. But um, I picked Pat Smear, who mm-hmm. is in the Foo Fighters, now everyone knows. He was in the Germs and just an amazing guitar player. And he had a solo album, which is out of print now, which was on SST. And I think his real name is Pat Ruthensmear. Right, yeah. And... Um, his name is George, I think. I think it is. I think yeah. Pat's his middle name or something. Yeah. Anyways, he's an incredible guitar player. He really, he's great in the Foo Fighters, but he, it doesn't even show a third of his talent. He's really amazing. And um, I like this song a lot. And it was also one of the songs the Germs were working on when Darby Crash died and he kind of redid it a little bit and made it oh. his own style. And I just love the way he sings. It's just such his personality comes out in it and so when did his solo record come out <sighs> or what era i guess like 88 or 89 mm-hmm. i'm guessing i could be wrong about that but it's a really good record it's out of print it's one of those kind of lost classics so yeah. wanted to play that then after that the replacements which you know everyone knows them i'm sure listening and within your reach it's not a 
totally unknown song, but it's just a song that I love a lot, and it's a it's a good song. So you know, if, if I'm in the right mood, it'll get me misty. You know what I oh. mean? If I'm feeling sensitive, oh, yeah. it's just a very yeah. The replacements do that. It's a touching you know song, and actually, yeah. that song started. There was a period during that time when Paul was maybe going to do a solo record, and he kind of did these demos, and I think that was like one of the songs that was maybe going to be a Westerberg solo record, like you know, back in the day. Oh, okay. And it ended up being on the replacements album um supposedly there's a bunch of lost demos and stuff that are going to come out at some point oh i'm sure there are which yeah. uh, i'm sure are great i think he's you know his voice and his vibe i, I love he's an incredible songwriter i mean everybody knows him but in the scheme of rock i think he's kind of underrated for the talent that oh, overall is. yeah for sure yeah and then after that uh that was twin tone because dust Diamond had a record called mousetrap on twin tone yeah which i actually played earlier in the show before, yeah you played mirror you leaks here. right i did yeah, yeah cool yeah, i love so that song yeah nice and then after that you played the screaming trees which were from sub pop which we had a couple of releases we did our the dust Diamond, the last ep i think was on sub pop and we also did they had a thing called the single of the month it sounds so quaint now but you would get a seven inch yeah, in the mail. Yeah, seven-inch yeah. vinyl single in the mail every month, and we were one of the singles of the month. So, What was the song? The A-side was a song called Sad Mile, and the B-side was a cover of uh, Making Time by The Creation. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Was, it, was there any uh, limited color vinyl? Wow. Um, it sounds likely. You know, I, I don't know. I don't have any. I'm so remiss. Like, I I'm, I'm don't have, like, so much stuff. Like, I barely have the records. Like, I, I used to have all these posters, and yeah. I was on the cover of Sounds magazine in England. Oh, and wow. I just, I found that when I was, like, cleaning out my, my parents' house. I didn't have it for years. And there's so much cool memorabilia that some of the other guys in the band have. And I was just kind of, I was like a pirate at that time, you know. So I wasn't, like, real, <laughs> like, being, like, an arch- archivist, you know. Right. Now I would, like, keep everything put under plastic at the time. I was just sort of like, woohoo. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> running around. Check that out. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I did want to ask you about a different colored vinyl record. Okay. About the marshmallow. Oh, the marshmallow conspiracy? Yeah, because there was uh, some okay. controversy with that record. Yeah, th- there was. was. Th- so this is like, for some people, this is like the only thing they know about Das yeah. This is like the I, infamous know, fact. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I was at this party a long time ago, maybe about eight years ago, I guess. It was a Rolling Stone party. Someone came up and they're like, oh, you used to be in Dust Diamond. I was like, yeah. They're like, man, you know, I heard great things about you guys, but I never went to any of the shows or bought any of the records. Why did you guys break up? And I was like, a lot of people said wow. the exact same thing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, you have to support the bands to keep them going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, that's why. Yeah, that's yeah, why. it's really funny. I was thanks like, well. Hear- thanks uh, for hearing of us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's all good, but, yeah. you know, it's just funny. Um, but anyways, you know, SST, and this is also sounds very quaint at this point, used to do a thing where they would put out a 12-inch EP. They used to call it EP, kids, you know, it's an, right. old, an old term. And um, they would put the single on one side from the record, and then they would, you would do like a, a B-side on the other side. It was just like basically like a 12-inch single, but with some, something else on the other side back in the days when it was just vinyl and cassette. So we did, the single was Bug, I think, was from our record. And we really put a lot of work into it. We did, you know, some, we recorded some different songs. And we did a version of Magical Mystery Tour by the Beatles. I'm a huge Beatles fan. Mm -hmm. It's a great version. Oh, thank you. 
And uh, what we did was we kind of at the end, we did this psychedelic outro with all these samples of different stuff. And once again, this is you have to put it in the context of the time, because <laughs> if you just think about it in today's mindset, you're going to think this is ridiculous. Right. But at the time, it was when Michael Jackson kind of outmaneuvered Paul McCartney for the Beatles rights and was starting to sell Beatles songs to commercials. I remember that time because I Which remember is being really aghast that somebody in the Beatles didn't own Beatles songs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, the whole thing. So at the time, that was very offensive to us because <laughs> at the time, it was very much like this kind of earnestness and everything has to be sincere and from the heart and about the art. And that's where, like, bands, the alternative bands, that's where they were coming from. Right. So to us and our kind of self-righteous, you know, rock and roll Puritan I mentality. See a, I see a target painted on that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we thought that that was incredibly offensive. So what we did, we recorded Magical Mystery Tour, but didn't list it as Magical Mystery Tour. Um, we listed it as Song for Michael Jackson to Sell, which was a play on words because there was a... Uh, Mi the Minutemen, another great, great SST band. Oh, yeah. They had a song called Song for Michael Jackson to Sing. So we were like being clever. And I actually designed the cover for it and did this whole thing. And and I was like a photo within a photo and all this stuff. I was like, I'm never designing another record again. I'm, <laughs> I'm cursed. <laughs> um, but anyway, of course, Mike, and I guess we didn't do something correctly with the rights, but we weren't trying to like rip anybody off, obviously. It was just like our little like artistic political silly statement um which we fully believed in at the time i mean now you look at it you're like What's, who cares you know it's like great commercial awesome let's go you yeah know? yeah and, and that's really how it should be but so michael jackson's lawyers found out and the records had to get destroyed and all this stuff and it really wasn't a huge deal to us i mean it was like a lot of controversy for like a minute you know it's funny because i was talking to greg ginn about it and i said you know can they do that and he's like it's Michael Jackson. They could have you killed if they wanted. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And a lot of people are like, oh, it destroyed the band. And, you know, it really didn't. We just kind of went on our merry kind of naive way, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, we were upset. Sure. And it was a little, but it wasn't like, you know, it didn't like ruin the band and the industry. You know, we weren't really trying for a record deal. We were just doing what we did. As long as we didn't get kicked off SST, we were happy. You know what I mean? Right. Um, you know, it caused a little turmoil, but. Overall, it wasn't like there were rumors on the internet like Michael Jackson broke up Das Domin and right. you know, they were never the same. Right. That's not how I see it, yeah. you know. But well, it's funny because that's just like a thing that people can latch on to because it's like a big name and sure. just two things together. Yeah. But supposedly, the one good thing that came out of it is I heard that Michael Jackson actually did hear it. Oh. So, and he didn't like it. But... Um, oh, I can say like Michael it. Jackson heard my music. At least I can say you that. Know, I don't believe that's the that. One I don't believe that he wouldn't like it. I don't. Yeah, I do because he's a musical perfectionist. Mm, and well, he, yeah. You know, he had like perfect pitch and he all this stuff. And I, I think he maybe he didn't understand the spirit in which it was done. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. But it's probably I, I can, better that he didn't. Yeah. At least I can say Michael Jackson heard some music that I recorded. So yeah. that's that's something. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So that's the whole story. There's some. I think pink vinyl copies around. I think I have one copy or whatever. It's it's actually worth something. I think. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the that's the whole story. Now you could get a license. Well, I don't know how hard it is to get license for Beatles stuff. Probably could pay a couple hundred bucks and re-release it or something. I don't know, but but that was the whole thing. It was really obviously it was not the most researched of ideas, and it wasn't you know. Well, but that, it was, that was before there was a lot of 
sampling and, and, you know. Yeah, it was just starting to happen. We did some samples and we did this like collage of all this different stuff and slowed stuff down, sped it up, had, you know, old Beatles samples and, you know, it was our statement, whatever. And, you know, it came from a pure place, however naive and misguided, no pun intended, it sounds (laughs) at the time. It came from a pure place, I can say that. It was a different, you know, it was a different... It was a different era. Well, you I know. could see that just being a statement. Like, yeah, oh, oh here's a song from Michael Jackson. But it's funny because now, like, everybody, that's what bands want. They're like, where's the commercial? Can we get a soundtrack? Like, that's how bands survive now. You yeah. Know? At the time, it was like, how can you mix commerce and art? Now it's like, hey, man, cash me in. You yeah, know? it's true. You, you need mo- Bands need money to survive. you got to yeah. do whatever you can. Well, and speaking of mixing commerce and art, yes. you, um, you went to NYU. I did. And there seemed to be quite a mix of... Uh, of a lot of art and music people there at the same time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. When I was 17, I moved to Manhattan, and I was in the Weinstein dormitory, (laughs) and um, that's where I met the guys from Das Damen. That's how I I ended up meeting them. And it was, you know, a lot of people, uh, Danny from D-Generation lived there, and uh, Rick Rubin, George Draculius, big producers, lived there and knew them, and they were around. And it was funny because we used to rehearse in the basement of the dorm, early Das Damen. Oh, wow. And across the hall from us, the early Beastie Boys would rehearse. <laughs> so it was really funny. But And it was really an odd time. It was like rock and roll dorm. Like, you'd come home from class. The Beastie Boys would be there. You'd see some of the guys from Run DMC, Russell Simmons, Slick Rick, wow. maybe one of the guys from Slayer. You know, <laughs> it was like really, it was, it was like a movie. And like, how did you do in school? I did really well, actually. Oh, good. Yep. I graduated, um, and you know it was like it was wild. It was like a movie. You know, you'd like walk down the hall. There'd be this dark room with smoke coming out, and that was <laughs> Rick's room. You know, ACDC blaring and right. food and you know craziness. It was it was it was a fun experience. Oh God, yeah, it sounds like it must have been. And that was just that period of time where there was now. There's a huge separation between quote like punk and hip hop. But you know, a lot of those things sort of started in the oh, same yeah. in the same bed. Well, in the same creative. If I remember correctly, I think it was sort of Rick that kind of came up with that. And I, if I remember correctly, being in his dorm room, listening to Back in Black at you know 120 decibels at like four in the morning or whatever, he was just like, "That's what. It's the same." you know hip-hop and rock and that's it's the beat that's what makes it all happen you know like Mm. he had this like and then after that the Aerosmith thing happened and oh right I don't know the exact chronology of how it worked but Mm -hmm. I I think he that came to him or he got that really early yeah he did yeah yeah I mean he would say like really funny stuff like he was like a real idea guy so Danny from D-Gen he he and I we're around then too and he'd crack up if I told this story we're out and um, Rick's like he would just come up with these concepts for bands he he goes I want to there should be this band and it should be like this hardcore band and it's like really hardcore pro-Israeli he's like and I want it to sound like Discharge but not as poppy (laughs) now if you ever heard Discharge it's like (laughs) you know and not and as poppy as that. Yeah, he's like, not as not as 
as uh, poppy as the most abrasive band ever, you know? So, and he'd be like, and they can have a song talking about the Palestinians called They Must Go. And he'll go, they must go, they must go, they must go, like screaming in this restaurant. <laughs> and then I, I remember that years later, because Danny and I were talking about it, we were laughing. And then I remembered he produced System of a Down years oh, later. Wow. So maybe that concept somehow survived. It still was in there. That was the kind of stuff he would come up with. He was like a you know conceptual dude. Obviously did did well with it. So. Oh goodness, that's hilarious. Yeah, it was really funny. Wow. Discharge, but not as poppy. Right. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, for, it, it takes a certain kind of brain to see Discharge as being poppy to begin with. Well, that's the I guess <laughs> that's the genius of Rick. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, super. I do want to make sure that we get to cover everything. Okay, yeah. And um, so can you introduce the next song? You did talk about uh, playing with D-Generation. Okay, yep. Uh, this is Good Ship Down off their album called Through the Darkness. Um, I don't play on this, but it's a song that I enjoy playing with them when I did my stint with them. Um, I think Danny Sage and I think Todd Youth was the other guitar player. And they told me that this was kind of their attempt to mix musically Fleetwood Mac and the Dead Boys. Oh. And, hey, Lindsey Buckingham and Cheetah Chrome, why not? It's WFMU, right? Right. Yes, absolutely. But I just thought it was a cool tune. Very good. So So, uh, good ship down by D-Generation. Very good. My guest is Jimmy Walls. He's doing, he's uh, taking over the reins. Taking it over. And uh, we'll be back in a minute. Drive the car. Oh. 
get anyway.
And we have returned. Oh wow, my headphones are my headphones are only in in one ear. Going uh, back to mono. I guess so. Yeah. Wow, it must have been that uh, that uh, Sonic's Rendezvous band. Cut. <laughs> Blew it out. <laughs> back, yeah, right. Maybe it's just my ears. <laughs> oh, wonderful. My guest DJ is is Jimmy Walls. Let's backtrack. Okay. Into that set. That was just Frankenstein three thousand. Yep, that's unreleased from the record Allerton Avenue. Oh, cool. Just wanted to give props some good people, a great band. And, you know, I played a lot of old stuff today. I think you have to play some new blood and keep it fresh. So I wanted to give those guys a shout out and, um, you know, play some good music. And it's a song about the planet of the apes. How can you beat that? What's not to like about that? That's great. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot of Planet of the Apes movies recently. They've been on TV a lot. Yeah. They suck me in. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like you start watching them and then yeah. you're like, oh, I've seen this a billion times. Oh, wait, I can't wait till Zayas comes out of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and then before Frankenstein 3000, we heard from, oh, Iggy Pop. Okay. Yeah, sorry we about that. We kind of did the a Speed miscue. McQueen Iggy Pop mashup. Yes, we did. Why yeah. not? It's 2012. We right. can do that. Right, exactly. The Iggy track I'd like to talk about for a second, Inferiority Complex, is off Skull Ring, a great record. Um, Pete Marshall, who is. I mentioned earlier, plays guitar with me in in a B.B. Buell band is on that record. And I felt like that was a track that he had a lot to do with. Um, I believe they weren't going to necessarily keep it on the record. Mm-hmm. And Pete had a lot to do with, you know, making sure that it was on there. And the, I f- it's just the song to me is very much his vibe musically. And I think it was a very cool direction for Iggy that he I wish he would have kind of taken a little further. I don't know that he necessarily did. But that record is kind of a mix. Like he did stuff with his band that Pete was in with him called it was Iggy and the Trolls. But right, that was right yeah. when the Stooges were reforming and he did some tracks with Peaches and the single he did with Some Forty One. It was kinda of like a mix. And I felt like with all the excitement about the Stooges and stuff, some of the tracks that he did with like his road band were some really cool stuff and some of it got a little overlooked and that's a song that I love and has a lot to do with Pete to me and I, I mm-hmm. wanted to play that to give a little, you know, props to Pete. Yeah, and I think you're right about that record, too, because I remember when that came out, and, and I don't remember hearing much about it at all because there was a lot of distracting Well, stuff. everyone's I like, mean, oh, all good. he did a song with Sum 41, and uh, the Stooges are back. And, oh, yeah, there's some other stuff. You know, I mean, right. people that know know, but I, that's, you know, in the spirit of playing stuff that not everybody may have heard. I thought, you know, everybody knows Iggy. But yeah, no, it's a great, great I love that. So I, I wish he would have taken that direction a little further because I thought, the way his voice sounds and stuff, it's, it's very cool and moody. Some friends of mine are like, it's almost like doom metal. You know, yeah. it's like, it's cool. And then we have Speed McQueen, Groover. Yes. A great New York City band that did not get the props it deserved. And that's from the 1998 unreleased demo session. So going deep tracks here, Ooh. kids. And when I was researching this just yes. to, just for this program, uh-huh. you, you can't really Google Speed McQueen and find anything because I, I guess one of the cars in that movie Cars uh-huh. is named Speed McQueen. They probably got it from the band. Yeah, yeah, it's a great name. Hey, listen, you know what I mean? We're talking to people that know rock. There's a mo- one of the biggest movies is The Descendants. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, where's Milo? You know what I mean? It's like, where's Bill Stevenson? You right. know, it's like yeah. a different world. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, it is funny. Yeah. yeah. 
But uh, and I remember when Speed McQueen was around. I remember the first thing I thought was great name, really great, great rock. Killer name. band should have yeah. been huge. Yeah, really should have been. You know, stuff like that breaks my heart. But, I mean, everything happens the way it's supposed to. But definitely something I wanted to spotlight a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, and thanks for doing that. You know, because your uh, your your selections have been awesome and, well, and have not been to the top. Like, yeah, you know. I mean, you know, it was, it was hard because you said you know do your life's journey through music and you know I lo- I love like I kind of kept it rocking and mm-hmm. kept it hard because yeah. you know this, that's the program and but you know i could have played done a whole show about the beatles or joni mitchell or african music or what i mean i like right. so much your country you know but yeah i thought let's rock you know what i mean right. it's like it's a rainy day and it's a rainy thursday so let's rock it right and and we certainly did and jimmy thank you so much yeah, for being and here and i just uh, you know like i was saying bringing it back to to BB because we're going to play a couple tracks. The guys in the band, mm-hmm. her her band has a serious rock pedigree, you know. So I wanted to yeah. spotlight some of that with Speed McQueen and Iggy and you know all that kind of stuff. And and so you should. And I just it's a it's a serious band, you know. what I mean, it's this guy's throw down. So I wanted oh, yeah. to uh, honor them a little bit. And uh, we're going to be doing a little play. We're going to be playing a lot of tracks from BB's new record, Hard Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and how long has that record been out for? It's been out like about a month and a half, two months maybe. It just right. kind of came out. I, I still think of it as a new record. Right, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's basically the same. Pete plays bass and guitar on the record. And Frank Farrar from Guns N' Roses plays plays on the record. Oh, the drums, as right. well. Yeah, this is before we got the like final band. But, mm-hmm. but uh, the, the guys in the band take it to a whole other level. So. And so what are the, uh, the songs that we're going to hear? Um, we're going to hear uh, Man in a Uniform, which is a cover from Gang of Four, a song that BB's wanted to cover for years. And um, then we're also going to hear an original called Got It All Wrong, which was uh, written with BB, myself, um, Frank Farrar, actually, and also John Robinson, who I mentioned earlier from The Fluid. And the record was produced, uh, I produced it with uh, Steve Diacutis at a sound spot productions in uh, Edison, New Jersey. And he's a very talented guy and a dear friend. So that's what we're going to go out with a couple yep. songs from the BB Buell so record. So pick up hard love. And thank you so much. And thanks. Your stories are amazing and, and it's great for you to, to share. And, and oh, well, thank, thank you, you. I mean, for sharing they, with the listeners. It's fun to uh, have someone that knows the history and, you know, appreciates all these, you know, my goofy little stories. And yeah. But, you know, it's like, but it's like, but, but you were one of those people who was really there at really pivotal points. And that's what I say. It's like, oh, my God, he was there during that. He was there during that. Like, that's. <laughs> the that's, forest gump of rock. Right. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say that. But you were there and you know, obviously had something to do with making what happened at that point happen, you know, so. I mean, I, I was there, you know, and yeah. I was, I'm, I'm grateful for the experiences that I've had, you know. Yeah, yeah, so thank and you so uh, much. Also, let me just say, you know, if mm-hmm. you want to check out the dates and stuff uh, for the upcoming show. All right, you've got a Facebook? Yeah, I go to uh, BB Buell Band, uh, the Facebook, the fan page, mm-hmm. also BB Buell Band Twitter, mm-hmm. and uh bbbuell.org. Yeah, you just hit up any of those and uh, have all the info for the shows and everything. That we're, We have a lot of cool videos and all kinds of stuff going on. Well, thanks so much. And uh, we're going to go out with a couple songs from the BB Buell Band. We are WFMU. Please stay tuned. My guest has been Jimmy Walls. to be 
And that concludes another podcast episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. More on the way. I am Diane Kamikaze. Check my Twitter and my Instagram. Handle is one word, Diane Kamikaze. Kamikaze ends with an E. On Facebook, you can find me as Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life and Making a Difference. The full link to my uh, index of shows and podcasts is can be found on wfmu.org slash playlists slash DK. Those are, that's a capital D and a capital K. I'm going to be working on encore presentations and I've got years of interviews and podcasts. So if there's something that you'd like to see reposted that you missed, please get in touch. Send me email, diane at wfmu.org and be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you like it, please rate it and review it. Wow. WFMU. Peer pressure. Thank you. See you next time.